to mind uh, for me is uh, two years ago against Ohio State uh, in the home game that we ended up winning. I think he caught about, it had to be like a 15-yard slant route, beat a guy to the corner and then eventually broke a tackle. I mean, I think he's could be one of the next great wide receivers in the NFL. He certainly has all the tools to do it. I mean, I don't know if he's ever going to have any talent around him in Cleveland, but... Well, hey, Dilfer's not a terrible quarterback. I mean, that's I mean, he is 26-9 and nine in his last 35 games as a starter. Granted, he played on Baltimore, and the defense won him more, most of those games, but he's not a terrible quarterback. He's certainly better than Kyle Orton or Tim Rattay or whatever. Well, well if, forget about Dilfer. Uh, the new Browns quarterback might be Matt Leinart next year, the way they're playing. So. They no, he might be a Lion. What are you talking about? <laughs> God. But it's got to be an NFC North team, I think, right? I mean, is there any way that the worst team in football isn't in the NFC North? I, I really don't think that any team should make the playoffs. And as much as I would love to get into this debate, it seems like we're just about out of time. Uh, thank you for listening to Extra Points. I'm David Bickle. Th- special thanks to Steve Schuster behind the glass and everybody else for showing up today. Uh, tune in tomorrow at 5.15 for the Daily Sports Report. Thanks, good night, and go blue. You are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. The sports department would like to thank you for your continued support of the University of Michigan Student Radio. Moss knocked over Campbellini, winds up and he scores! Just Campbellini lets a laser go from the near side circle, and the Wolverines take a 1 0 lead off the rocket, off the stick of Jeff Campbellini. Knocked over Campbellini, winds up and he scores! Just Campbellini lets a laser go from the near side circle, and the Wolverines take a 1 0 lead off the rocket, off the stick of Jeff Campbellini. Bing Crosby, wrap your troubles and dreams, take four. Castles may tumble, that's made after all. Life's really funny that way. Sang the wrong melody, we'll play it back. See what it sounds like, hey, hey. They cut out eight bars, the dirty bastard. I didn't know which eight bars he was going to cut. Why don't somebody tell me these things around here? Holy Christ, I'm going off my nuts. The last bastion of freeform. WCBN FM and Abba. Sounds like a bunch of left wing hippies to me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jeez, that mic is on. The mic's on. Oh, my God. Turn off the microphone. Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley, and uh, my partner, Jim Dwyer, has. professional slash educational obligations tonight uh he'll be joining us uh next week um and we'll look forward to that um obviously uh we'll probably have one more rant here about the uh situation in new orleans slash the gulf coast and uh, briefly talk maybe about the german elections because germany is becoming sort of a mirror image of uh 
the United States politically uh, with stalemate as the uh, rule of the day. First of all, uh, let's uh, just give President Bush yet another brain damage award. Obviously, uh, his nationally televised speech on Thursday kind of struck me as uh, typical of the past uh, modus operandi of presidents. It struck me as sort of the usual kind of syrupy panoply of Reagan-esque and LBJ sloganeering uh, with profound delusions of grandeur mixed in with incompetence as well as just not really understanding what the heck's going on. Just cite one example, a couple of examples. Um, Bush, uh, on, in his speech Thursday, said, uh, you know, the work of rescue is largely finished. The work of recovery is moving forward nearly all of the Mississippi electrical power has been restored. Trade is starting to return to the port of New Orleans, and agricultural shipments are moving down the Mississippi River. All major gasoline pipelines are now in operation, preventing the supply disruptions that many have feared. Well, that's just blatantly false. <laughs> the IAEA issued a report today that said uh, 5% of uh, Refining capability uh, in uh, New Orleans is completely out of commission, and uh, four major refineries are not. Uh, the product is not flowing. That's of as of today. I don't know what the situation was as of Thursday, um, but I, I think it, it just goes to underscore Bush's sort of um, almost Disneyland approach to the, the problem. I think Maureen Dowd used that uh, description of Bush's speech, you know, here is his sort of uh, weaselly, furrowed-browed face nestled between a statue uh, over there on uh, Decatur Street uh, in front of Jackson Square. And in Jackson Square, by the way, is that white, very interesting building that uh, was in Bush's, uh, over Bush's right-hand shoulder. Uh, interestingly, it was where the... Uh, government of Spain, as I recalled, set up uh, their sort of castle of imperialism in that part of the region. And, of course, the importance of New Orleans as a city, I go down there for the uh, revelry. Uh, I've never been to Mardi Gras, but uh, I go down for Blues and Jazz Festival. And, of course, I'm a tourist. I am part of the problem, maybe, uh, in that I but I am aware of the poverty of New Orleans, the profound poverty both in uh, the black sections of town as well as the uh, white sections of town, so to speak, because we camp out in that St. Bernard area uh, several of the years that I've gone. An interesting article appeared in the uh, most recent edition of the New York Review of Books, the October 6th edition, uh, written by George Friedman, who talks about the importance of New Orleans as a city, uh, his main perspective, and I'll just quote a couple of interesting comments that he makes, is about its importance to the economic vitality of the United States. Um, he's basically a security analyst, a professional security analyst. And uh, he wrote, if the Soviets could destroy one city with a large nuclear device, which would it be? The usual answers were Washington or New York. For me, the answer was simple, New Orleans. 
If the Mississippi River was shut to traffic, then the foundations of the economy would be shattered. The industrial minerals needed in the factories wouldn't come in, and the agricultural wealth wouldn't flow out. Alternative routes weren't available. The Germans knew it, too. A U-boat campaign occurred near the mouth of the Mississippi River during World War II. New Orleans was the prize. And, of course, he goes on to talk about uh, the Battle of New Orleans in January of 1815, a key moment in American history when the British uh, attempted to uh, take over New Orleans. And, of course, we got this area of uh, America during the Louisiana Purchase. Thomas Jefferson was no idiot. And I think I've read somewhere where the 80% of the water in the continental United States ultimately ends up in the Mississippi, which gets me back to Mr. Bush and his naivete about uh, what uh, needs to be done uh, in New Orleans. Uh, Obviously, the challenge is uh, grand. It's huge. It's uh, going to require uh, probably... uh, $500 billion at a minimum and maybe uh, as much as a trillion dollars. Where this money is going to come from is anybody's guess. But there seems to be a kind of delusion that uh, we need to restore New Orleans to its sort of tourista uh, style. Uh, Or to quote uh, William Greider, If market forces are allowed to design the recovery problem, much of New Orleans and environs would be plowed up think no bid contracts for Halliburton and Bechtel, and reduced to a theme park for hot jazz, good restaurants, and grubby jobs. And, of course, tourism is an important aspect of New Orleans. I think I read somewhere that 20% of the employment in New Orleans is tourist-related, and um, tourists spend something like $12 billion a year down there, and it accounts for 20% of the total employment uh, in the city of New Orleans. So, of course, uh, tourism is important. Um, but you can't escape the geographic reality of New Orleans. Now, getting back to George Friedman, he writes, um, New Orleans is not optional for the United States' commercial infrastructure. Vulnerable to inundation, it is a terrible place for a city to be located, but exactly the place where a city must exist. With that as a given, a city of some kind will return because the alternatives are too devastating. The harvest is coming, and that means that the port, or part of it, will have to be opened soon, and the port area will have to be cleared by a Herculean effort if necessary. As in Iraq, premiums will be paid to people prepared to endure the hardships of working in New Orleans, but in the end, the city will return because it has to. And that's true. Um, As he uh, writes earlier in the article, uh, it's the biggest port city in America by tonnage, fifth largest in the world. It exports more than 52 million tons a year, of which more than half are agricultural products, corn or soybeans. A large proportion of U.S. agriculture flows out of the port. Even more cargo, 69 million tons, comes in through the port including not only crude oil, but chemicals and fertilizers, coal, concrete, and so on. And interestingly, by the way, a good example of oil coming in is uh, comes in from Venezuela and Mexico, and uh, Chavez is always in the news as the uh, Bush administration 
continues to demonize the leader of Venezuela. But um, I didn't hear from President Bush a real understanding of what needs to be done. Um, and I'm going to give him a brain damage award just last week for saying I'm responsible. Um, that doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> it's the myth of responsibility. And there was a very enlightening story uh, in Thursday's New York Times, I believe, about My uh, Michael Brown's sort of perspective on the situation. He, of course, was the hapless, totally unqualified director of FEMA, who's become the first and probably only casualty of the Bush administration's continuing incompetence, not only regarding the Katrina fiasco, but the Iraq war, um, federal deficits that are just almost too hard to contemplate, and uh, all the other budget priorities of this administration. I think he's maybe the first person that's actually been sacked or fired and his perspective on what went wrong, in which he basically talks about the, quote, frustration and chaos of the situation, and, of course, wants local authorities to shoulder some of the blame, uh, which I believe uh, is appropriate, although I think that the mayor of New Orleans um, will come out looking better than anybody because he's the one that ordered the, the uh, mandatory evacuation. But you get this incredible moment when the president is actually on the phone with Bush. And Bush's response to FEMA, uh, as, as Michael Brown is telling Mr. Bush how serious the problem is, essentially noting that the evacuation plans uh, would take 72 hours to get everyone out, and therefore there wasn't enough time. And Bush's response is typical Bush. Mike, you want me to call the mayor? <laughs> question mark? Uh, this is the, the, the man that is in charge of the United States of America. He needs a new job description. He needs to be briefed about what his job is, uh, because it's obvious that uh, a man that spends five weeks on vacation, of course, he always calls it a working vacation, um, doesn't get it. You know, it's interesting. Somebody alerted to me of this uh, little article that appeared in Popular Science of this year, May of 2005. Science, of course, is a subject that the president uh, attacks all the time. Uh, his uh, solution for the evolution debate is to in teach intelligent design in the schools. And, of course, uh, Friday was devoted to a day of prayer. And even in his speech... Um, on Thursday, uh, he uses this bizarre phrase about recovery in which he writes or, or, or uttered these thoughts. He said, we are the heirs of men and women who have lived through those terrible winters at Jamestown and Plymouth who rebuilt Chicago after the Great Fire and San Francisco after a great earthquake, who reclaimed the prairie from the Dust Bowl of the 1930s. Every time the people of this land have come back from fire, flood, and storm to build anew and to build better than what we had before, Americans have never left our destiny to the whims of nature, and we will not start now. Um, the whims of nature, uh, there, there aren't any whims involved here. <laughs> this is a hurricane region. And this article in, New uh, in Popular Science just this year 
uh, is fascinating stuff. Uh, they talk about nat- uh, natural catastrophes around the world, and of course, they actually have a specific article about New Orleans and what would happen if a Category 5 hurricane were to hit New Orleans, in which um, the, the man that they quote, Scott Kaiser, only in a split second to name the one city in the U.S. and probably the world that would sustain the most catastrophic damage from a Category 5 hurricane. New Orleans, says Kaiser, a tropical cyclone program manager for the National Weather Service. I mentioned the National Weather Service because, of course, uh, Rick Santorum, that bonehead from uh, Pennsylvania, he's been proposing to actually cut the budget of the National Weather Service to, quote, privatize the agency. Well, it was the National Weather Service that warned Michael Brown and hence the president uh, last week that this hurricane may be headed for New Orleans, two weeks ago, I should say, uh, well before it hit. And, of course, Kaiser describes the, the problem. He says a storm surge, a phenomenon in which high winds stack up huge waves along a hurricane's leading edge. In New Orleans, a big enough surge would virtually drown the entire city long before settlers decided that the shores of the Mississippi would be a nice place to raise the fa- a family. The river regularly topped its banks, heaping silt and mud into surrounding wetlands. Well, of course, over the years, uh, it's these levees that have prevented these floods from occurring that uh, are damaging the wetlands down there. And one thing about Mr. Bush's uh, analysis or speech, he, he doesn't even acknowledge that Louisiana at the moment as a state is an entire ecological catastrophe. Uh, there's a region where the Mississippi um, dumps all of the uh, 80% of the water in the United States in terms of rivers and creeks that uh, nothing lives. It's a dead zone because of all the organophosphates that have been poured into agricultural production in the United States in which we grow these enormous surpluses of corn and wheat, um, feeding ourselves and a good part of the world. Uh, That is a commendable aspect of the so-called Green Revolution. But the downside of it is this terrible environmental destruction that's occurring in Louisiana. We're talking about the destruction of the wetlands that have been occurring, that have made uh, this current Katrina surge such a disaster. Um, Bush has no understanding of it. This petrochemical uh, disaster in the city of New Orleans, uh, in which an expert pointed out before the hurricane hit what would happen, this uh, toxic stew of petrochemicals, sewage, raw sewage, and as he put it, floating coffins. Um, Of course, we had floating bodies. And while John Kerry uh, was being swift-boated to death by Bush's political apparatchiks that uh, some of them seem to have ended up heading FEMA, in fact, a good chunk of them, uh, you know, New Orleans, what they needed, alas, was a slow boat. They needed canoes rowboats and whatnot to get these people saved, uh, and these resources were not available. Then we have the troubling aspects of the overall sort of vague plan about all this contracting. I wanted to return and refer to a, a London Review of Books article that appeared on the 7th of July entitled, Where Has All the Money Gone? 
Ed Harriman follows the auditors into Iraq. And this, I think, is what Americans should anticipate in terms of the uh, nonsensical rebuilding of New Orleans uh, using Mr. Bush's approach, uh, because likely it will go to out-of-state contractors uh, that are politically connected to the Republican Party, and, of course, the people of New Orleans uh, will not um, benefit. Indeed, last week, 50% of the evacuees have stated that they're not returning to New Orleans. So it's very difficult to contemplate that fact. Uh, You may not have a city with enough consumers in which uh, the city can really survive. No mention of that in Bush's speech on Thursday. But let's look at the record in Iraq, because it's very troubling. And I quote from Ed Harriman here on various aspects of the contracting process, as well as the management of the so-called reconstruction of Iraq. Uh, Which, by the way, as I pointed out several weeks ago, Baghdad, a city five five times bigger than New Orleans, and indeed it's maybe eight times bigger than New Orleans, one month after Bush initiated the war in Iraq, this was a city without water, without electricity, without sanitation. They were enduring the very conditions that the people of New Orleans now face, only, of course, they were left in their city. And, of course, the war created hundreds of thousands of refugees that fled uh, from the bombs and the uh, uh, encroaching and approaching military of the American government. But let's look at the record uh, that the Bush administration has regarding Iraq reconstruction, because it's very troubling. And Ed Harriman uses all sorts of government documents here, investigations by our own government about what's been going on in Iraq since March of 2003. He writes, for the benefit of the Iraqi people, Congress, it's true, voted to spend $18.4 billion of U.S. taxpayers on redevelopment of Iraq. But by the 28th of June last year, when Bremer left Baghdad two days early to avoid possible attack on the way to the airport, his CPA had spent up to $20 billion of the Iraqi money compared to $300 million of U.S. funds. In other words, the CPA in, in, in Iraq, the American provisional government, used Iraq's oil money to finance Halliburton contracts and Bechtel contracts. Investigators have discovered that $8.8 billion that passed through the new Iraqi government ministries in Baghdad while Bremer was in charge is unaccounted for, with little prospect of finding out where it went. A further $3.4 billion earmarked by Congress for Iraq development has since been siphoned off to finance security. Waxman and his assistants, in reference to Henry Waxman of the United States Congress, found that Halliburton was charging $2.64 a gallon for petrol for Iraqi civilians, while American forces were importing the same fuel for $1.57. A GAO report of July 2004 found that in the first nine months of the occupation, Kellogg, Brown, and Root was allowed a free hand in Iraq, a free hand, for example, to build a Pentagon without worrying about spending limits or management oversights or paperwork. Millions of dollars of new equipment disappeared. KBR charged $73 million for motor caravans to house the 101 
Airborne Division, twice as much as the Army said it would cost to build the barracks itself. KBR charged $88 million for 3 million meals served to U.S. troops that were never served. The horror stories go on. So let me continue uh, in the final five minutes of Gray Matters. Tough talk, despite all the threats to withhold payments regarding KBR. KBR and Halliburton have now been paid more than $10 billion for quartermastering U.S. forces. One of KBR's contracts was for transporting supplies between American bases, fleets of new Mercedes-Benz trucks, costing $85 million, $85,000 each, excuse me, traveled up and down Iraq's central highways every day, accompanied by U.S. armed military escorts. If there were no goods to transport, KBR dispatched empty lorries anyway and billed accordingly. Lorries is the British word for trucks. The lorries didn't uh, carry every replacement, didn't even carry air uh, replacement air and oil filters essential to uh, driving in the desert. They didn't even carry spare tires. If one broke down, it was abandoned and destroyed so no one else could use it and left burning by the roadside. This is the record of the Bush administration in Iraq. This is why uh, Bush's proposal to rebuild New Orleans, uh, which interestingly, by the way, is a fiscal stimulus he's going to time for next year's congressional elections. Republicans, of course, are reeling uh, in the public opinion polls, both the president and Congress, for their general incompetence. Uh, But, of course, the plan for the Republican Party to rise out of this cesspool of incompetence uh, personified by New Orleans and Baghdad is we'll get the money flowing into these contractors next year so we can make employment statistics look really good just in time for the congressional elections. Back to Ed Harriman for a second. Pilfering was rife. Millions of dollars of cash went missing from the Iraqi Central Bank. Between 11 million and 26 million of Iraqi property was sequestered by the CPA, the provisional government, and was unaccounted for. The payroll was padded with hundreds of ghost employees. Millions of dollars were paid to contractors for phantom work. 3,379,000 was billed, for example, for personnel not in the field performing work, quote-unquote, and other improper charges on a single oil pipeline repair contract. An Iraqi sports coach was paid $40,000 by the CPA. He then gave it to a friend who gambled it away and wrote it off as a legitimate cost. And these uh, stories are ongoing. Um, Ehrman continues... Not only are the Americans guilty of lack of accountability, in January of this year, the Seeger issued a report detailing evidence of fraud, corruption, and waste by the interim government when Bremer was in charge. They found that $8.8 billion, the entire Iraqi interim government spending from October 2003 through June 2004 was not properly accounted for. The Iraqi Office of Budget Management at one point had only six staff, all of them inexperienced, 
and few of the ministries had budget departments. Folks, this sounds like FEMA. This sounds like the boneheads that Bush put in charge at FEMA. And, of course, this is how we're managing Iraq um, to this day. These are mainly, uh, by the way, details of American incompetence regarding the uh, management of Iraq's economy and the so-called rebuilding of Iraq that occurred after the war. And needless to say, inadequate planning is copious in this entire endeavor, widespread and irrefutable. Finally, uh, just uh, because we're just about out of time, there was an interesting little note here about hurricanes. Because uh, what what happened today, folks? Well, the price of oil went up another $4 a, a gallon on the futures market because of Hurricane Rita. Rita, Rita, Rita. Meter made, etc. Yeah, that's on the way, and that may hit Louisiana again. It's supposedly headed for the Gulf. Well, it's 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 almost in the Gulf already. Once it goes past Florida, and uh, it's probably going to hit Texas or Louisiana, or possibly maybe right in the same area where they're trying to recover from the first storm. Uh, but storms with the power of Hurricane Katrina are becoming more common, in part because of global warming, according to a report. Issued uh, this published this last Friday, the number of storms in the two most powerful categories, four and five, rose to an average of 18 a year worldwide since 1990, up from 11 in the 1970s. And this is is a report just published in the journal Science, a report, no doubt, that the president will not read because he doesn't believe in science. And, of course, these are general... uh, publications uh, that one can read, periodicals at the uh, public library or the University of Michigan library. Um, So there you have it. Uh, This, by the way, uh, is attributed to slightly warmer uh, water in key areas where these storms pass. Scientists have pointed out, by the way, that the water in the Gulf of Mexico on the surface is close to 90 degrees. 